0: The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, the original and immortal stories of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle dramatized anew with Sir Ralph Richardson as Dr. Watson and Sir John Gielgud in the role of Sherlock Holmes.
1: Many of the cases of Sherlock Holmes were private affairs that made no stir outside the family circles involved. But the disappearance of Silver Blaze was a matter which set the whole country by the ears. For not merely had this horse, the favourite for the Wessex Cup, vanished for a week before the Great Race, but his trainer had also been tragically murdered lived in a small villa about 200 yards from the stables. I see you have some newspapers there, Watson. Let's see what
2: they have to say about the matter.
1: Oh, well, um, here's the the morning post. It says, uh, The horses had been exercised and watered as usual, and the stables locked up at 9 o'clock. Two of the lads walked up to the trainer's house, where they had supper in the kitchen, whilst the third, Ned Hunter, remained on guard. A few minutes after nine, the maid, Edith Baxter, carried his supper, a dish of curried mutton, down to the stables. As the path ran over the open moor, she carried a lantern with her. About 30 yards away from the stables, a man appeared out of the darkness and called to her to stop. Excuse me, miss. Can you tell me where I am? I'd almost made up my mind to sleep on the moor when I saw your lantern.
3: You're close to King's Pile and Training Stable, sir.
1: I am. What a stroke of luck. I understand that the stable boy sleeps there alone every night. Perhaps that's his supper you're carrying. Yes, sir, but it'll be getting cold. Yes, but uh, you wouldn't be too proud to earn the price of a new dress now, would you? See, the boy gets this (laughs) note tonight, and you have the prettiest dress that money
3: can buy. Let me pass, sir. I'm not giving notes to anybody.
1: The girl was frightened by his manner, and she ran past him to the stable window hatch, through which she always used to hand the boy his meals. The hatch was already open, and the boy was waiting inside. She'd just begun to tell him what had happened when the stranger came up again. Good evening. I wanted to have a word with you... Uh, what, what what business have you here? Business that may put something in your pocket. You've two horses in for the Wessex Cup, Silver Blaze and Bayard. Let me have the straight tip and you won't be the loser. Is it a fact that at the weights Bayard
0: could give the other a hundred yards? So so you're one of them damned touts? Well, I'll show you how we
1: serve them at King's Pilot. Just wait till I set the dog free. Rover! Rover. The boy ran to unleash the dog and the maid hurried towards the house. But looking back, she saw the stranger leaning in through the stable window. A minute later, when Hunter rushed out with the dog, the stranger was gone. Yes, and that's as far as we can get with the morning post, I'm afraid. Mrs. Hudson very stupidly used the other half of the paper to light the fire this morning. Well, (laughs) I'm sorry.
2: Oh, no matter, my dear fellow. The telegraph has also covered the columns very fully. I have it here. Uh, Hunter, on the return of his fellow grooms, sent a message up to the trainer, Straker, to tell him what had happened. Straker seems to have been vaguely uneasy about the matter, for although he'd been to bed, he got up again at one o'clock in the morning, telling his wife that he was going down to the stable to see if all was well. He put on a Macintosh, for it was raining heavily, and left the house. Mm, Quite a wealth of detail, my dear Watson. And here I have the notes of Mrs. Straker's statement. After her husband had gone out, she went back to sleep again and didn't wake until 7 o'clock in the morning. Finding him still absent, she called the maid and they set off together for the stables. They found the door wide open. Inside, huddled on a chair, was Hunter in a state of complete stupor. The lads in the loft overhead had heard nothing all night. But the favourite stall was empty and there was no sign of the trainer. Hunter had obviously been drugged. Undoubtedly. Mrs. Straker and the maid left him and ran up to the moor to see whether Straker had merely taken the horse out for exercise. And so the murder was discovered. Suppose you read me the rest of Mrs. Straker's statement.
1: Oh, well. Yes, here it is. Some quarter of a mile from the stables, Mrs. Straker and the maid found Straker's coat flapping from a bush. Immediately beyond, there was a bold-shaped depression on the moor, and at the bottom of this, John Straker's body was found. His head, shattered by a savage blow from some heavy weapon, wounded in the thigh, a long, clean cut, evidently inflicted by some sharp instrument. Straker had obviously tried to defend himself, for in his left hand, he grasped a red and black silk cravat, which was recognised by the maid as having been worn by the stranger who'd spoken to her outside the stables. Hunter, the stable boy, also identified it when he'd recovered from the effects of the drug. This was apparently powdered opium, which had been put into his curried mutton. Now, that that explains what the stranger was doing as he leant through the stable window. Mm -hmm. The lads who ate the same meal at the trainer's house were quite all right, so only one place had been drugged. It goes on to say there were abundant proofs in the mud which lay at the bottom of the fatal hollow that the missing horse, Silver Blaze, had been there at the time of the struggle.
2: Well, Watson, let us pass our little journey quite agreeably. And here we are at Tavistock.
1: Tavistock lies like the boss of a shield in the middle of the huge circle of dartmoor two gentlemen were waiting for us at the station silver blazes owner the well-known sportsman colonel ross and inspector gregory of scotland yard
0: i'm delighted that you've come down mr holmes the inspector here has done all that could possibly be suggested but i wish to leave no stone unturned in
3: trying to avenge poor Straker and recover my horse
2: i trust that i may be able to assist you sir uh, has there been any fresh development?
3: I'm sorry to say we've made very little progress. As you know, we've had no uh, difficulty in tracing the stranger. Uh, he was well known in the neighborhood. His name is uh, Fitzroy Simpson, a man who's come down in the world and uh, lives by a little quiet and gentle bookmaking in the London clubs. His books showed he was carrying bets up to £5,000 against the favorite. When confronted with the cravat, he turned very pale and was utterly unable to account for its presence
1: in the hand of the murdered man. Of course, Straker himself was wounded, wasn't he? In the thigh. He may have wounded himself in the convulsive struggles which follow any brain injury. Excellent, my dear Watson. It's more than possible. It's probable. In which case,
2: one of the main points in favour of the accused
1: disappears. A minute later, we were all seated in a comfortable landau and were rolling through the quaint old Devonshire town.
2: A clever counsel would tear your case to rags. Why should Simpson take the horse out of the stable? If he wished to injure it, he could do it there. Has a duplicate key to the stable door been found in his possession? What chemist sold him the powdered opium? Above all, where could he, he a stranger to the district, hide a horse? And such a horse as this? Tell me, what is his own explanation as to the note
3: which he wished the maid to give to the stable boy? He says it was a ten-pound note, and one was found in his purse. Also, he's not a stranger to the district. He's twice lodged at Tavistock in the summer. Uh, The opium he uh, probably brought with him from London. The key, having served its term, will be hurled away. As for the horse, may well lie at the bottom of one of the pits or old mines upon the moor. What does he say about the cravat? He admits that it's his and says that he lost it. But uh, a new element has been introduced into the case, which may account for his leading the horse from the stables. We found traces that show that a party of gypsies encamped on Monday night within a mile of the spot where the murder took place. On Tuesday, they were gone. Simpson may well have been leading the horse to them when he was overtaken. Mm, it's certainly possible. Uh, the moor being scoured for them. Meanwhile, I've examined every stable and outhouse in Tavistock and for a radius of ten miles. There's another training stable quite close, I believe. Uh, yes, and that's a factor we must certainly not neglect. As uh, Desborough, their horse, was second in the betting, they had an interest in the disappearance of uh, Silver Blaze. Uh, Silas Brown, their trainer, is known to have had large bets upon the event, and he was no friend to poor Straker. However, we've examined his stables, and there's nothing to connect him with the affair. And nothing to connect Fitzroy Simpson with their interests? Uh, nothing at all. Ah, well, here we are.
1: Our driver had pulled up at a little red brick villa which stood by the road. Colonel Ross asked Holmes whether he would like to go on to the scene of the crime. No, I
2: think I prefer to stay here a little while and go into one or two questions of detail. Straker was brought back here,
0: I suppose. Yes, he lies upstairs. The inquest is tomorrow.
2: He's been in your service some years, Colonel. I've always found him an excellent servant. I presume that you made an inventory of what he had in his pockets at the time
0: of his death, Inspector. I have the things themselves here in the sitting room. Uh Uh-huh. Here they
3: are. A box of matches, two inches of tallow candle, pencil case, a few papers, and the ivory-handled knife.
2: Yeah, a very singular knife, Watson. Surely in your line. It's what we call a cataract knife. We use it for surgical purposes, including very delicate operations. A strange thing for a man to carry with him on a rough expedition. Why, it
3: won't even shut up to go into his pocket. Uh, The tip was guarded by a cork, which we found beside his body. His wife tells us that he kept it for some days in the dressing table and picked it up as he left the room. A Poor weapon, but perhaps the best he could lay his hands on at the moment. And the papers? Uh, hay dealer's accounts. Uh, this letter from Colonel Ross and this uh, dressmaker's account for £37.15 made out by Madame Le Jura of Bond Street. May I see that bill, please? Uh, certainly. It's made out to William uh, Derbyshire. William Derbyshire. Uh, Mrs. Straker tells us he was a friend of her husband's and that occasionally uh, letters for him were addressed here.
2: Had he been staying here, then? Did Mrs. Straker know him?
3: I gather not, but uh, here is Mrs. Straker. Uh, Mr. Sherlock Holmes, uh, Mrs. Straker.
2: How do you do, sir? How do you do, Mrs. Straker? Surely we've met before at a garden party in Plymouth recently. No, sir, you must be mistaken. Dear me, I could have sworn it. You wore a costume of dove-coloured silk with ostrich feather trimmings.
0: Never had such a dress, sir. well,
2: well, that settles it, then. Uh, If you'll excuse me, sir, I'd like a word with the Colonel.
0: Of course. I'll be with you in a moment, Mr. Holmes. Uh, Oh, uh, Inspector. (laughs) Holmes, I believe you've got your hand on a clue. Oh, do you? As a matter of fact, I
2: was just remembering a really excellent curry we once ate together in Soho.
1: Sherlock Holmes next asked to be shown the spot where the murder had been committed. A short walk across the moor brought us to the hollow in which the body had been found. At the brink of it was the first bush upon which the Mackintosh belonging to the murdered man had been hung.
2: There was no wind that night, I understand.
1: None, but very heavy rain. Um,
2: Well, in that case, the coat was not blown against the furze bushes. It must have been placed there.
3: Yes, it was laid across the bush. Very interesting. Uh, In this bag, I have one of the boots which Straker wore, one of Fitzroy Simpson's shoes, and a cast horseshoe of silver blades.
2: My dear inspector, you surpass yourself.
1: Holmes took the bag and ascending into the hollow, he made a careful study of the trampled mud in front of him.
2: Hello. What's this? A spent match, eh? Excellent. I can't think how I came to miss it. It was invisible, buried in the mud. I only found it because I was looking for it. What? You expected to find it? I thought it not unlikely. You'll have searched the ferns round the rim of the hollow for any more tracks, of
3: course. Uh, I'm afraid there are none. I've examined the ground very carefully for a hundred yards in each direction. Good. Good. Then I'll take a little walk over the moors before it grows dark.
0: And I think I'll put this horseshoe in my pocket, just for luck. I, I suppose you know your own methods best, Mr. Holmes. Perhaps you'll come back with me, Inspector. There are several matters in which I need your advice. Especially as to whether we owe it to the public to scratch Silver Blaze from the Wessex Cup. Certainly not, Colonel. I should let the name stand. I am very glad to have your opinion, sir. We shall see you later on, uh, when you've finished your walk.
1: Colonel Ross and the inspector went back to the villa, whilst Holmes and I walked slowly across the moor.
2: We may leave the question of who killed John Straker for the moment and confine ourselves to finding out what has become of the horse. Now, supposing he broke away during or after the tragedy, where could he have got to? Almost anywhere on Dartmoor, I should imagine. Oh, dear, no. The horse is a gregarious animal. If left to himself, his instincts would have been either to return to King's Pyland or go on over to Capleton yonder. Why should he run wild upon the moor? As he's not at King's Pyland,
1: he must be over there at Capleton. Come along. We've not far to go. And as we approached the gates of Capleton, we met a groom coming out of them.
0: We don't want any loiterers round here.
2: Uh, I only wanted to ask you a question. Would I be too early to see your master, Mr. Silas Brown... If I were to call here at five o'clock tomorrow morning. Why, bless you,
0: sir. If anyone's about, it'll be him. You're always the first stirring. What's this, Dawson. No gossiping. Go on about your business. And you there. What the devil do you want here? Ten minutes' talk with
2: you, my good sir. Well, I have no time to talk to every about, And we don't want strangers here. We'll be off or You may find a dog at your heels. One word in your ear, my friend. In your own interest. It's a lie. An infernal lie. Very good. Shall we argue about it here in public or talk it over in your parlour? Or do I go
1: to the police? It was 20 minutes before he returned. It should be done,
2: sir, just as you wish it. There must be no mistake. Oh, no, there should be no mistake. It should be there. Should I change it first or not? (laughs) No, no, don't. I'll write to you about that. No tricks now. Oh, no, you can
0: trust me you can trust
2: me yes i think i can well you shall hear from me tomorrow good day to you good day sir you see watson a more perfect compound of the bully coward and sneak than master silas brown i have seldom met with
1: he has the
2: horse then oh he tried to bluster it out but i told him so exactly what his actions had been that morning that he's convinced i was actually watching him (laughs) he was first down as usual and seeing a strange horse wandering on the moor he went out to it When he recognised it as silver blaze from the white splash on its forehead, his first instinct was to return it to the king's pile and stable, which he set out to do... But then he realized that if the horse could only be hidden till after the Wessex Cup, his own horse, Desborough, would almost certainly win. So he changed his mind and turned back halfway, brought Silver Blaze down to his own stables. But I thought his stables had been thoroughly searched. Oh, an old horse faker like him has many a dodge. Ah, but aren't you afraid to leave the horse in his power now, since he's every interest in injuring it? My dear fellow, he'll guard it like the apple of his eye. He knows that his only hope of mercy is to produce it safely at the racetrack for the Wessex Cup. I made that perfectly clear to him. But uh, I have a little trick to play on Colonel Ross. You may have noticed that his manner to me was just a trifle cavalier. So uh, neither of us, please, for the present will say anything to him about the horse.
1: Well, certainly not, if you wish it.
2: And, of course, this is all quite a minor matter compared with the question of who killed John Straker. And you'll devote yourself to that in the meantime. On the contrary. We'll both go back to London by the night train.
1: I was thunderstruck by my friend's words. We'd only been a few hours in Devonshire, but he should give up an investigation in which he had begun so brilliantly was quite incomprehensible to me. Not one word more could I draw from him until we were back at the trainer's house where the colonel and the inspector were waiting for us.
2: My friend and I returned to town by the Midnight Express. We've had a charming little breath of your Dartmoor air.
0: So you despair of arresting the murder of poor Straker?
2: There are certainly grave difficulties in the way. I have every hope, however, that your horse will be at the racetrack next Tuesday, and I beg that you'll have your jockey in readiness. Oh, may I take this photograph of John Straker with me back
0: to town? Well, Inspector, I'm rather disappointed in our London consultant. I don't see to go any further than when he came. At least you have his assurance that your horse will run next week. Yes, I have his assurance. I should prefer to have my horse...
2: We went outside goodbye goodbye colonel i hope to see you at the wessex cup and silver blaze
1: four days later holmes and i saw silver blaze win the wessex cup by a good six lengths but it was not a silver blaze that even its owner could recognize there was no trace to be seen of the famous white splash on its forehead or of the mottled off foreleg. The silver blaze that won the Wessex Cup was a powerful bay. It was only in the weighing enclosure, after the race, that Holmes began to explain to a colonel who was completely bewildered. (laughs)
2: You have only to wash his face and his leg in spirits of wine, and you'll find that he's just the same old silver blaze as ever.
0: You you take my breath away.
2: As I found him in the hands of a faker and took the liberty of running him just as he was sent over.
0: My dear sir, you've done wonders. I owe you a thousand apologies. (laughs) You've done me a very great service by recovering my horse. You would do me a greater still if you could lay your hands on the murderer of John Straker. I've done so. You've done so? You've got him? But where is he, then? What? He's in our company at the present moment. That is either a very bad joke, Mr.
2: Holmes, or is it an insult? I'm not referring to you, Colonel. The real murderer is standing immediately before you. The horse? Yes, the horse. Silver Blaze himself. It may lessen the guilt somewhat if I say that the killing was done entirely in self-defense and that John Straker was a man who was quite unworthy of your confidence. There goes the bell, and as I stand to win a little on the next race, I shall defer a lengthier explanation till a more fitting time.
1: It was not until we were on our way back to London that Holmes would get down to these explanations, despite the impatience of both the Colonel and myself.
2: I must confess that I even suspected Fitzroy Simpson myself for a time. It was only when I reached the trainer's house that the immense significance of the curried mutton occurred to me. The curried mutton? You mean when you mentioned our Soho meal? Exactly. Powdered opium has a disagreeable and perceptible flavour. Only something more strongly flavoured, like a curry, could have disguised the taste. Now, Fitzroy Simpson could never have known that the maid would be serving the stable lab with a curry that night. The only people who could have known that were people in the house. So who could have taken advantage of the fact? Then there was the silence of the dog when the horse was taken from the stable. It failed to bark because it knew who the intruder was. I was already quite convinced that the intruder must have been John
1: Straker himself. John Straker himself? Why did he wish to take Silver Blaze out onto the moor in the dead of night and secretly?
2: The answer to that was in John Straker's pocket. The dressmaker's bill? Precisely. Addressed to William Derbyshire. That set me thinking. Perhaps John Straker was leading a double life. After all, his wife confirmed that the expensive costume wasn't for her. And by recognizing the photo that I showed her, Madame Lesurier, the dressmaker, later confirmed that John Straker had
1: indeed bought it there to give to a woman of more expensive tastes than his wife. In fact, John Straker was leading a double life and was in bad financial straits. John Straker. I can scarcely believe it. The knife gave me the final clue.
2: It was a surgical knife, such as could be used to lame a horse without leaving any visible evidence of foul play. By laming Silver Blaze and betting on Desborough... John Straker would have been able to retrieve his fortunes. A scoundrel, a man I trusted. He led the horse out onto the moor so that when he cut its tendon, its plunging wouldn't waken the groom's overhead. In order that he could see what he was going to do, he needed a candle. So that the candle should not be seen, he led the horse to the hollow. In lighting the candle, he dropped that spent match in the mud. Unfortunately for him, the light must have scared the horse, unless it was instinct. Whichever it was, the horse lashed out and its steel shoe caught Straker full in the forehead. He'd already taken off his Macintosh to be freer, and as he fell,
1: gashed his thigh on his own knife. But my dear fellow, you, you might have been there. Wonderful. And the cravat, Fitzroy Simpson's, which was in the dead man's hand.
2: Simpson said that he lost it. No doubt he did. Straker must have found it and picked it up perhaps with the idea of using it to secure the horse's leg. Well, that disposes of everything. Quite simple. Perhaps we could while away the rest of this journey, my dear Watson, with a game of chess.
0: The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, based on the original stories of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, have been dramatized anew... With original music composed by Sydney Torch.